Hey friends, you are listening to the Grace Story Church podcast. To learn more about Grace Story and how you can get plugged into our community, visit gracestory.church. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for the gift of your word. You've given it to us that we might know you and that we might know who we are. We love you, Lord, and we thank you that you have given us a community to be a part of, that we might sharpen one another, that we might grow in love and affection toward one another as we grow in love and affection and obedience towards you. We lift up all of the people in our family who are sick right now. Lord, you are a great healer, and we thank you for medicine and doctors and chicken noodle soup. Lord, we pray that you would bring them to full health speedily, and we thank you for their graciousness in remaining home today. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, guys, we are continuing our study through the book of Deuteronomy, and we are going to be in chapter 4 today. So go ahead and turn with me, Deuteronomy chapter 4, starting in verse 15. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb in the midst of the fire. Beware lest you act corruptly. By making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, in the likeness of male or female, in the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, in the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, You be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. Things that the Lord your God has allotted to all peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance, as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you, and he swore that I should not cross the Jordan, and that I should not enter the good land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. For I must die in this land. I must not go over the Jordan. But you shall go over and take possession of that good land. And take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you. And make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When you father children and children's children, and have grown old in the land... If you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples And you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands, that neither see nor ear, hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, You will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you 
or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. This is the word of the Lord. All right, that's Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 15 and following all the way through verse 32, Deuteronomy 31 rather, Deuteronomy chapter 4, 15 through 31. Any of you guys have a favorite t-shirt? Just a favorite, yeah. My favorite t-shirt is a t-shirt I bought from J. Crew, and it is light blue colored, and it is super soft, and it is amazing. And the one thing that's unique about this shirt is that it is now, let's see, you got that shirt in 1998. That t-shirt is now, I guess, 25 years old, you know, and it's, it's pretty threadbare, it's kind of tattered, it's got holes in it, and what I've had to do in order to protect it is move it out of closet, out of my dresser, all that stuff. It's now in the protection of my office desk inside a drawer where my wife doesn't have access to it because to her it looks like garbage, right? But to me, it's, it's my favorite shirt, and I can't wear it that often. I'll tear it up worse, but every once in a while I like to put it on. It just feels good. And I can't explain my love for that shirt by any means other than just to say that it's mine. Are you with me? It has like this quality of mindness to it that it just feels familiar. It feels right. And I just love it because it's my shirt and it's been my shirt for 25 years. And I love it. And when we think about when we think about this passage, I want us to really dial into that idea of possession, that idea of mindness, that idea that something can be special to you strictly on the basis that it's yours, strictly on the basis that it belongs to you. Because as we read about God's relationship here with Israel, listen, we're going to read all throughout the entire Bible. God's going to remind them over and over again, listen, I didn't choose you because you were awesome. I didn't choose you because you had the most features out of any nation. I didn't choose you because you were the most attractive or the most powerful or the most numerous. I didn't choose you because you had the most going for you. I just chose you. Check this out. Because I chose you. I just chose you because I chose you. And now, now that I have chosen you, watch this. I don't love you because you have the most features. I don't love you because you're the most powerful. I don't love you because you're the most attractive. I don't love you because you have the most stuff going for you. I just love you because you're mine. I love you because you belong to me. I love you because of the fact that you are my possession. And this passage is actually held together by the glue that is God's unique love for Israel. I want us to pay close attention to the verse that holds this entire passage together that Nick read. And that verse is verse 20. Verse 20. Look at this. But the Lord, the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace out of Egypt to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. 
So what we see here is that this passage is dripping with grace. It's dripping with grace. It's organized around the very idea of grace. And I think what Moses wants us to see here, at least in part, is that we are rescued from something specific, right? And for Israel, that something specific is what? The iron furnace, Egypt, slavery, and exile. Where was Israel born, friends? The descendants of Jacob were born as exiles and slaves in Egypt. That's right. So we're coming from exile and slavery as a nation of Israel. But it's not just from something that they're rescued, but they're also rescued for something. So they're rescued from something specific and they're rescued for something specific. And what are they rescued for? They're rescued for this purpose of belonging to God as his special possession. They're rescued so that they can be his. They're rescued so that they could belong to God. His own inheritance. And here's the deal. If we're, gonna, if we're going to have a healthy relationship with God in the world... We have to hold both of these realities in mind. We have to hold in mind that we're rescued from something specific, just like Israel. And we have to hold in mind that we're rescued for something specific. And here's why. Look, if we, if we spend our whole lives only thinking about what we're rescued from... And in our circle, like in Reformed circles, we tend to do that a little bit. We tend to spend a lot of time thinking about what we're rescued from. We're rescued from sin. We're rescued from sin. We're rescued from slavery. We're rescued from darkness. We're rescued from wickedness. We're rescued from fallenness. We're rescued from, right? But if we spend all our time thinking about that, then what are we going to do? We're going to wind up latching on to something like worm theology, where we're going to waller in our wretchedness. We're going we're gonna to waller in our wretchedness and we're not going to grasp the full implication, the full power, the full scope, the full magnitude of the gospel. But on the other side, if we only think about what we're rescued for, if all we ever think about is that well, we're rescued to belong to God, we're rescued to be God's children, we're rescued to be loved, we're rescued to enjoy, we're rescued to delight, we're rescued for community, we're rescued for all of these wonderful things. And guess what? We're going to lean into something like prosperity theology, aren't we? And we're going to forget all about where we came from. Have you ever met someone who was a product of the Depression? Or maybe someone who, who grew up in the Depression? Anybody? If you meet that person, what you're going to find is that they know exactly where they came from. Right? They know exactly where they came from. They, they understand the way that my grandpa would put it, the value of a dollar. Right? They understand what it means to be without. They understand what it means to lack. They understand what it means to struggle. And we need to... We need to grab hold of this rescued from peace so that we don't forget where we came from. We don't forget that we were exiles and slaves in Egypt because of sin. We don't forget that we were captives. We don't forget that we were enslaved to darkness. We don't forget that we were lost without hope. 
Man, but we've got to grab hold of the fact that we're rescued for something. We're rescued for something. We're rescued for fellowship with God and one another. We're rescued for freedom. We're rescued for this beautiful future where we inherit, check this out, we inherit the entire cosmos. Come on. We are rescued for glorious things. We have to grab hold of that. Man, we want to grab hold of the entire scope, the entire magnitude of the gospel so that we can enjoy the richness of fellowship with God that has been bought with a price. The price, what? The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Man. So we belong, we belong to God by his gracious act of rescue. So we belong to God. Because of that, God will tolerate no rivals whatsoever. God will tolerate no rivals. Look at verses 25 through 27. And when you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today, the entire universe, that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it but will be utterly destroyed. The Lord will tolerate no rivals. Now, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Jealousy. We think of it as a negative thing, don't we? We normally think about jealousy as a negative thing. I think the most jealous I've ever been. Look, I grew up super close with my sister. We were best buddies. We were always together. And I remember that on the day that she was married... Right, I sat out on my front porch and I cried for like two hours after her wedding. And the reason that I cried was because I just knew that like I wasn't going to be the person that she called on for help anymore. I wasn't going to be the person primarily who protected her. I wasn't going to be the person primarily who was there for her. I wasn't going to be that person anymore. And I was yielding that over to another guy that I didn't really know, didn't really trust, didn't really have a huge relationship with. He turned out to be a fantastic man, a great husband, a great father. But man, it's hard to yield over that role of protection, that role of um, being primary to someone. And that can be negative in human relationships. It can be negative in human relationships. My other sister got married. Her her future husband called me and asked for, my dad had passed away by this time, and he asked me for permission to marry her. And I said to him that he could marry her under the condition that he would take her last name. And he didn't, they did get married. It was, but we don't want to give over that responsibility. We don't want to give over that primary role. But here's the thing, jealousy can be a good thing. In fact, here's a principle that I want to propose for us, that the more exclusive a relationship is, the more appropriate jealousy becomes. Let me say it one more time. The more exclusive a relationship is, 
And I'll say the more legitimately exclusive a relationship is, the more appropriate jealousy becomes. If, if, if you're a married man and you find your wife flirting with another man, it is appropriate for you to be jealous. You should be jealous. In fact, if you're not jealous, you should probably go to counseling. There's probably something wrong. There's probably something deeply wrong with you, and you need to get help. The more legitimately exclusive a relationship is, the more appropriate jealousy becomes. And remember how, this, how did this message start? We belong to God. We're His and it is our hisness that sets us apart from everyone else in the world. And so God will tolerate no rivals. He's not into it. He will tolerate no rivals. He will look at what happens to Moses. Moses is forbidden to enter the land because he sets himself up as a rival in some ways. Right? He, he uses his own power to smash the rock. Instead of pointing to the power of God by speaking and allowing God himself to bring forth the water. God will tolerate no rivals. He's a jealous God, a consuming, a consuming fire in verse 24. Take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. He will tolerate no rivals. And the reason that he won't tolerate any rivals is actually tied not just to his glory, but also to our intrinsic glory as his creation. He created human beings with intrinsic glory. Borrowed, don't get me wrong, it's borrowed, but it's intrinsic in the sense that it's part and parcel of our identity as human beings. He's given us glory. And what is that glory? What does it mean to, to be human, right? Or what, what privilege do humans have above the rest of creation? Anybody know what privilege humans have? Humans are made as the image of God. That's a privilege. It's part of what it means to be human. And when God made us as his image, he meant that. And he gave us along with that a role, a calling. What is that calling? To rule over all the earth. Every creature, everything God has made on the earth. Human beings are called to rule on his behalf just as he would rule if he were us. So look at, the way, look at the way Moses characterizes idolatry the first time around in this passage. Starting at verse 16 here. Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourself. What kind of image are you talking about here, Moses? Well, in the form of any figure. Could be male. Could be female. Could be any animal on the earth. Could be any winged bird that flies in the air. Could be anything that creeps on the ground. Could be any fish that's in the water. Now, do these categories sound familiar to anybody? 
Genesis chapter what? One. And what happens in Genesis chapter one? God tells the humans that they're to rule over, have dominion over all of these categories of creatures. They're supposed to rule them, subdue them. They're supposed to take authority over them. They're supposed to tutor them in how to be exactly what God's made them to be. Fish should be learning how to be fish from humans, right? But what happens immediately? Will humans learn how to be humans from a serpent? Humans give up their God-given role, their God-given calling. They yield it to the serpent to be the one who now rules over them. And that's how sin begins. That's how humans give way to the temptation for autonomy, to be the shot callers, to be those who determine right and wrong for themselves. And what happens here is that God is telling them, look, idolatry is just a replay of the very first sin. It's a replay of what went wrong with humanity from the very beginning. It's placing creation above the creator. But not only that, it's turning creation in itself upside down. It's decreation and it's dehumanizing. It's dehumanizing. Because humans are made to rule. We're made to rule on God's behalf. We're made to rule under God's authority. We're made to rule for God's purposes. But we're made to rule. And it is dehumanizing to worship what we're intended to rule. So we're made to rule. We're also made for distinction. We're made for distinction. Verses 19 and 20. Beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven. And here Moses is talking about some more ways that we might commit idolatry. And when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven... You be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. So, so you can commit idolatry by serving the things here on the earth and worshiping them, making carved images of them. Or you can commit idolatry by looking way off into the heavens and worshiping the sun, the moon, stars, the host of heaven. Things that the Lord your God, watch this, has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. What's, what's, what's he saying here? So in the first case, in the first case, the temptation to idolatry is that of giving away our humanity, right? But in this case, the temptation toward idolatry is giving away our particularity. It's giving away our particularity. It's saying, man, what I really want, what I really want is this moon. What I really want is this sun. What I really want is the stars, what I really want are these things that God has actually given as a gift to all humans. I don't want this particular gift of his love. I don't want this particular gift of his rescue, his forgiveness. I don't want this particular gift of his covenant. What I want is this gift he's given to everybody else in the whole world. Just nature, creation, all this stuff I can see, all this stuff I can point to, all this stuff that awes me as I go to sleep at night. I want that stuff. 
Not the stuff that's just for me, but the stuff that's for everyone. When we're made for distinction, we're made to be different. I mean, Jesus gets on about this in Matthew chapter 6, right? The passage that Nick read, he says, look, don't be so worried about the things that you need to eat, the things you need to wear. That's what the Gentiles, the nations are running after. Everybody in the whole world wants those things. And God knows you need them. But what you want to do is focus on what is particular to you. You belong to God. He knows you need these things, but seek him. Seek him. And then all this stuff will take care of itself because God knows you need it. So don't spend all your time pining after what God has allotted to all the nations of the earth. Instead, spend your time, spend your heart pining after what God has allotted just for you. The benefits of the gospel, full forgiveness, full acceptance before God, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life 24-7 reminding you and encouraging you that you belong to God, that you are a gift, that you are alive, that the whole world is yours. Man, so we can wake up in the morning and we can look at the world that God has made and we can say thank you. We can say thank you because the whole world is a gift and it belongs to us by inheritance. Man, the king of the earth, the king of the earth has said all of this is yours because you belong to Jesus. Thank you, God. But we don't focus on what we can see. We focus on what's particular to us as believers. And when we do that, all that we can see, all that we can observe, takes on its true significance in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because idolatry really comes down to the forsaking of our particularity. The forsaking of our particularity. The same thing happens. Same thing happens with the nation of Israel. They start pining for a king. And when they start pining for a king, what kind of king are they after? Right? They have, they have the Lord as king. They have the Lord as their king who rules over everything on the earth, everything in heaven. But when Israel starts wanting a king, what kind of king do they want? A king like the other nations. Right? A king like the other nations. They forsake their particularity. And their only desire is to be like all of those who don't belong to God. That's idolatry in a nutshell. The last thing we need to take seriously is that idolatry has clear consequences. Idolatry has clear consequences. Verse 27, and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there, check this out, here comes the real, the real consequence. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. What's the consequence of idolatry? You get exactly 
what you asked for. You get exactly what you asked for. Man, if you want to pine after, if you want to worship, if you want to run after the things that God has allotted to every nation under heaven, then you will get exactly what you asked for. You will serve. You will serve those gods. You'll live under their rule. You'll live under their tyranny. You will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. If you will not serve the living God, then you will serve a dead God. So the consequence of idolatry, what is it? Well, it's more idolatry. It's being given over. It's just like in Romans chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. What happens? Because of sin, because of hardness of heart, and because specifically, actually, even in Romans of, idol- of idolatry, right? What happens? Well, they're given over to the lusts of their flesh. So they move from one degree of idolatry to another after having been given over. So I have a couple of questions to help us evaluate our own hearts and lives in light of this passage. The first one is this. In, in the face of your particularity in Christ, your distinctiveness in Christ, do you shrink away from that or do you celebrate it? Do you shrink away from that or do you celebrate it? Here's what I mean by that. Look, faithfulness to Christ at some point or another begins to cost something, doesn't it? Faithfulness to Christ at some point or another begins to cost something. And we're all going to be tempted. We're all going to be tempted to sort of despise that cost a little bit. We're all going to be tempted to sort of think of that cost as a little bit too high, a little too grating. But our call is to rejoice in the particularity, the particularity that goes along with being in Christ, not to despise it. Finally, is there anything you have, anything you can do, or any identity? That if God asked you to give it up would be too significant of a loss for you. Anything that you have, anything that you do, anything that's your identity, that if God asked you to give it up would be just a little bit too significant of a loss for you. And I don't mean too significant for you to do it. I mean that as you think about that, the weight of it is out of balance with the truth of who you are in Christ. You can feel that, can't you? You can feel when something begins to kind of hold on to your heart a little bit too hard. You ever, you ever been there? You ever felt that? Feeling that something is just holding on to your heart a little bit, a little bit too hard.
And if, if, if there are things, then there's a couple ways to go at it. You can beat yourself up. You can waller in your wretchedness, right? You can probably make yourself feel holy by means of castigating yourself relentlessly. Or, check this out, or you can confess to the Lord and you can come to him in the name of Jesus and you can receive his forgiveness and you can walk away empowered by the Holy Spirit for renewed obedience. You can beat yourself up and you can make yourself feel holy by castigating yourself. Or you can come to the Lord and you can confess in the name of Jesus, you can receive his forgiveness and you can walk away renewed by the Spirit for deeper obedience. So my, my challenge for all of us is check this out. Let's, let's come to the Father through our great mediator, Jesus Christ. And let's enjoy the welcome that we have before the God of the universe. And let's confess our sin joyfully knowing that because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we have full forgiveness. Not only that, but we have the Holy Spirit who empowers us for obedience immediately. And let's walk away empowered, renewed for a life of obedience hereafter. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its clarity and its power. And Father, we pray that you would use it today to rescue us from idolatry. Lead us to confession. Remind us of your forgiveness and renew us by your Holy Spirit unto a life of obedience. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Story Church podcast. For more resources and information on our church, visit gracestory.church.